All right. Well, good morning, Orchard Church. It is great to see you guys here this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Revelation chapter 21. We're continuing in our series through the book of Revelation, verse by verse. We've called this series, The Return of the King, A Journey Through the Book of Revelation. And we are almost finished. How many of you have been here for the whole thing? Almost last year, right? Yeah, good for you. Give yourself a little clap there. That's okay. I saw someone starting to, uh, okay, yeah, you did a good job. So here we are in chapter 21 as we continue today. And, uh, I, you know, it, it's been, it has been a journey, hasn't it? We've been through all kinds of things from letters to the church all the way to where we're at today. And um, the title of this morning's message is The Best is Yet to Come. Now, is that familiar to any of you? Okay, seeing a few heads go, yeah, yeah. Uh, I had to look this up, actually, but uh, it is a hit song from Frank Sinatra from 1964, The Best is Yet to Come, and it was the last song he sang publicly in 1995 um, before he died in 1998. But it was a hit song, apparently, and uh, I don't know that uh, when he sang that last time, The Best is Yet to Come, when uh, he passed away, if it was the best yet to come, we'll leave that up to the Lord. But we come to chapter 21 today, and we find that the best is yet to come. We find some great things here. We are on page 499. If you're using one of the Bibles, we've provided for you there in the back. And uh, what's interesting about that is it's almost the very last piece of paper in that Bible. It's almost the very last page there. We have seen the completion of the seven-year tribulation in our study thus far. We've seen the second coming of Christ, the establishing of his kingdom in the last couple of weeks here. Last Sunday, the great white throne of judgment, which we talked about and, and studied in the, the previous chapter. Now we come to the very end part of the book of Revelation, the final two chapters, the end of the Bible... And we quickly realize, like I said, that God has saved the best for last. Do you ever save the best for last? You ever do that? I mean, when I was a kid and we would eat pizza, I would pull all the pepperonis off and stack them on the plate. And someone would go, oh, do you not want those? And I'm like, no, I'm saving the best for last. I'm going to eat all those in one big heart attack bite. I am saving the best for last there. I really like those. And, and God has saved the best for last. And, and we see here that the best is yet to come. God ends it with talk of heaven and our eternal destination in the longest chapter of the book of Revelation. And consequently, the longest message ever at the Orchard Church this morning. Just kidding you. Just kidding you about that. We, we see uh, quite a bit on heaven, and you know, we, we don't know all there is about heaven. We know somewhat. We don't know everything about heaven. You know, there's some books about heaven and, and some accounts of some people that have written about seeing heaven and those types of things, but we do get some wonderful details here in chapter 21. Uh, you know, it's in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul writes, and he says that as believers, our citizenship is in heaven. 
right? You know, that, that's where it's at. In the Old Testament, Abraham even said that we look for a city whose builder and maker is God. So if, you're, if you are there in chapter 21 with me, let's read verses 1 through 8. In verse number 1, it says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And we'll stop right there. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the study and what we have learned so far. And, and we know and we remember that you told us in the first part of this study the words that you wrote for us that were wise if we'll read it. And study it. And so thank you for this journey that we've been on. God, today I ask that you would speak to our hearts and minds. And uh, Lord, just convict us. Uh, bring us to a point of decision, an individual decision that you would have for each person in here. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there are several hundred references to heaven all throughout the Bible. Fifty-five of those or so in the book of Revelation alone. And in verse 1, look back there again, we'll, we'll go through this now starting in verse 1, we see that we have some significant changes coming in eternity, some, some changes in eternity. And John, in this vision of heaven that God is allowing him to see, and, and all through this book he has given this vision to John, and he's wrote many things, and here we're continuing today, and he's, he's writing about some new things. He writes about five things that become new. Five things this morning. And they're in your outline, which is in your newsletter, so I'd encourage you to turn there. And the, the first one, and number one this morning, is a new heaven and new earth. That's found in verse 1, where, it's, where John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. We, we have studied so far, and Pastor Doug pointed out last week, how we will, uh, if the rapture were to take place in the next few moments, or if you were to pass away, we would go to heaven. Then, there, then for seven years, this tribulation, if, if that was the rapture point, and we, then we would come back to earth in the second coming with the thousand-year reign of Christ. For the, the millennium, we call it, the thousand years on this earth. And so sometimes we don't remember that or we, we don't think about that. We just think, well, I'm just going to heaven forever. But if you'll remember from our study, there's heaven and there's coming back down to earth. And you might think, oh, that's going to stink. We've got to come back to earth. You know? but, but don't think of it like that. It's, it's going to be great. You know why? 
because it's God's plan. And, and God is involved in it. And then, as we get to today, we see a new heaven. So that, that, that place you were at even before. There, there is a new one and, and a new earth here. So John tells us that he, he sees this new heaven and new earth because the old heaven and old earth have passed away. And it shouldn't be a surprise for us because it's found in the New Testament in Second Peter chapter 3. Let's, I've got a verse for you, and I believe we've got it here on the screen for you. It talks about that this would happen, this new heaven and new earth. In verse 12 and 13 it says, Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. It's found in the Old Testament as well. Again, not a surprise. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17, we are told this. uh, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. So something new is coming. And it just uh, reminded me this week when I read this that God is both the creator and the recreator. The creator and the recreator. And I got to thinking how there is some discussion and a little bit of argument and, and, and some talk about, you know, gosh, in the Genesis account here in the very beginning of the Bible is, you know, is that literal, is that, were those days, days and, and some struggle with God creating everything with his words voice versus God creating things and, and then letting them evolve and some struggle with, with that creation in Genesis in the very first chapters there. And uh, if you would struggle with that, then, then you may struggle with where we are at today in Revelation 21 because God, again, will create a new heaven and a new earth. It is His work. And it is interesting that the Bible opens up with creation and the Bible closes up with a new creation. So God is the Creator. And He's also the the new Creator or the Recreator here in the final pages of God's Word. You know, something that doesn't always get mentioned is this. Uh, we talk about, or, and we tend to focus on heaven, right? Well, we notice a new earth. It's a new earth. And from what we can tell, it will be similar. There in verse number 1, after it says that they, the first earth has passed away, it says also there will be no more sea. It will be similar, but better, but perfected. It, it will be awesome. One of the differences I, found, I thought was interesting here was this. It says here, no more sea. So we get one detail. God gives John one detail. There'll be no more sea. Well, why that detail? You got to thinking about that this week. Well, if you'll remember, John is writing this book, exiled on the island of Patmos, surrounded by the sea. For John, the sea means separation. For John, the sea means imprisonment. He he is surrounded by the sea, surrounded by water. So perhaps John is giving us more than just a geography lesson here. God says to him as he's writing this, and by the way, John, (laughs) there's going to be no more sea. And I could just see John going, yes, man, that's great. Because that is the problem right now. I'm on this island And there's water all around. 
And so uh, that, that was interesting. And, and, you know, even more than that, uh, as you've probably studied, that about three-quarters or 71% of our earth is covered in water. And, um, you know, don't assume here as we read this that, oh, no, no more sea. Well, that's going to be lousy because I like to deep sea fish and I like to scuba dive and surf and we like to go to the coast and do all these things and man heaven's really not sounding like it's going to be that great don't think like that Uh, it it doesn't say uh, that there could be other large bodies of water for us to enjoy and uh, if you look back at the very beginning of creation and the fall of adam and eve and sin coming into this world and then judgment with the global flood you know it's just my opinion that God's first intention for this earth wasn't that three-quarters of it be covered in water. I believe that's a, that's a part of the fall and, and global judgment in the flood. But here's the bottom line. Whatever God has for us will be better than what we have. It'll be better. So, so don't think in terms of, oh, rats, I'm not going to have that thing or, or this. It will be better It'll be wonderful. And by the way, not to get too far off topic here, but in life right now as we live and walk with the Lord, whatever God has for us, for you specifically, will be better than what you have right now. That might be a trial, and we know the Bible tells us God uses trials to mold us and shape us and and teach us things. Whatever God has for us even now will be better than what we have currently. Whatever God has for us in the future, down the road, as we learn and continue to grow in Him, it'll be better. And when we get to heaven, it will be better. When we get to eternity, it will be so incredible that that we're having a difficult time here describing this. John has trouble describing this, and he, in fact, he starts describing it in there in in ways like this: there'll be no more of this, and there'll be no more of that. It's difficult for him to describe. It's going to be better. Looking at verse two, John here writes and begins to describe the new capital. And that's number two this morning, the, the second new thing. Not only a new heaven and new earth, but number two, a new Jerusalem. Verse two said, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So a new capital city is Jerusalem, where God's people will reside. Uh, We're told in other places in the Bible, this is the place from which Christ rules and reigns. It's in Zechariah chapter 14 that speaks about this. We have studied how in the millennium, people will come to Jerusalem, worshiping the Lord there. So now in eternity, we have a new capital city, a brand new Jerusalem. Notice the word in verse 2 that says that it is prepared as a bride, prepared. When I read that this week, I couldn't help but to think of a couple of verses. Uh, the first one being in John 14:2 that says, uh, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. 
This is that place prepared where believers will live. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, in talking about all that God has for us, it says, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared, same word, for those who love Him. So this beautiful city is described, and in verse 2 it says one of the ways it's described is being as a bride adorned for her husband. And we should take this two ways. Uh, One, John is describing her appearance. Uh, You know, I've done weddings as a pastor. All, All of our pastors here have had the opportunity to do many weddings and uh, different places, sometimes in church, sometimes outside, sometimes at a, like a wedding facility. And uh, all of those weddings, I could say this, at all the weddings that I've been a part of, you, I, and I'll tell you what you already know, the moment in that wedding, the moment, I mean, it's great when they're introduced at the end as, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, and you may now kiss your bride and all of that. that. That's great and all. But the moment in that wedding is when the bride emerges in the back and everyone stands and all eyes are on the bride, right? And that is just that. I was at a wedding recently and the back of the church had glass windows and the bride even went to the, uh, to the effort to, to cover those with little black curtains so nobody could see her until she stepped into that auditorium. And that's the moment at the wedding. And we all look, don't we? We stand up and we, we turn around usually and we see the bride coming down the aisle. We're all looking at the bride. And then there's who's with the bride? The dad sometimes. And he might as well just be invisible, right? Because everybody's, everybody's looking at the bride. Wow. Did not know she could do her hair like that. You know? Man, she has been in the, you know, the shop this morning getting it all, you know. Now all eyes are on the bride. That is, that is the moment there. And John is saying that this new Jerusalem, which is prepared and coming down, this capital city, there will be a moment where all eyes turn to the bride. Her appearance is beautiful. It's radiant. It's extraordinary. We also want to connect this with Revelation chapter 19, uh, which we've al- already studied, where Revelation 19 talks about how the bride is the New Testament church. And by this point, in eternity, all those who belong to God, the bride, and we will dwell there. So this new Jerusalem, in verse 2, called a holy city because of God, and also His holy people are there. It is beautiful. It is prepared. And look at verse 3, what John says. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. God dwells with us personally. Verse number 3. You know, by the way, it's the very presence of God which makes heaven heaven. That, That his presence is there. You know, Adam and Eve back in the garden had the very presence of God there. Uh, But then there was sin and that personal, intimate, close fellowship was removed. It was broken. And without the presence of God in heaven, I'll just tell you, the streets of gold would be worthless. It would be worthless. 
the home prepared for us, not so wonderful without the very presence of God. So God's presence will be there. He will be there. And that's what makes heaven heaven. And without the presence of God, it would be hell. Because that's one of the punishments of hell. Separation from the presence of God for eternity. So, so it's a great thing that the very presence of God is there. And John writes about that in verse number 3. And you know, as in the Bible, back in John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us here on this old earth. We called Him Jesus. So here, God again dwells amongst His people. So we have this new heaven, a new earth, this new Jerusalem, connecting it, if you will. And this is all part of eternity. This is all part of what is permanent, what He has prepared for us. That's a beautiful thing. Next week we'll get into the measurements and some of the materials used in this new city. So John shares a new heaven. It's a new one. A new earth, a new capital city, Jerusalem. And the third thing uh, John shares with us in these verses is, number three, a new perspective. In verse four, let's read there. In verse number four, it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. This is a popular verse, isn't it? Nor sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Verse four is one of the greatest promises in Scripture. No more tears, death, sorrow, crying, pain. Talk about the best is yet to come. Here it is. You know, pastors love to share this at a funeral of believers, of a believer. We love to be able to share this verse right here. But isn't verse 4 wonderful? And that means no more doctors, no more medicines. No more sickness, no more disease, no more reports from the hospital, no more tests, no more going to the hospital in an emergency. Man, no more pharmacies, no more filling the prescriptions, no more obituaries, no more funerals, no more cemeteries, no more death. Man, that, that is incredible. Isn't that great? Yeah, that, that, that is awesome. I, you know, I was reading uh, this week that most men by the age of 43 need reading glasses. Okay? And it went on to say, and I, I did not know this, uh, most people by the age of 55 need glasses. Period. No more glasses. I was just thinking about that because I had misplaced mine and was scrambling around so I could see. Have you reached the age where life takes more from you than it gives to you? Have you, have you, have you reached that age where, um, you know, I had my 20th high school reunion happened and I was not there and I heard about it and they had a wall there with the names of those who had passed away. I was like, wow, yeah, you know, accidents, a few from some health problems, things like that. And I looked at those names and I thought, wow, you know, I I did this with that person or I had this class with that person. And, 
You know, it just really hits you when you begin to have friends that have passed away. And if you haven't reached that point, you will. It's a part of this world that we live in. You know, it's been well said that heaven is the land of the living and that this world is the land of the dying. And I believe verse 4 here is written, I've got to point this out this morning, I believe that it is written because of chapter 20. The first part of verse 4 says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And what just happened? We studied it last week in chapter 20. Do you remember what just happened? The lost were cast into the lake of fire. So there are tears here. This immediately follows it. And there are tears here. And it says here, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And I believe there will be a lot of tears right up to this moment. Let me ask you this morning, when is the last time you shed a tear for the lost? Oh, I don't do that, man. When is the last time you shed a tear for someone that didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? You know, we'll watch a story on TV about a dog and we'll cry. We'll shed a tear. We'll get that YouTube video emailed around to us that we'll watch and shed a tear, won't we? We'll watch the latest Taster's Choice commercial. And we'll shed a tear. He's home on Christmas break. You know? <laughs> really. You know, and those things get our emotions going. But what about, what about the lost? What about your emotions and how your heart feels towards those that don't know Christ? You know, that, that is something to shed a tear about. You know? Not just the thing that rolls around on TV to grab your emotions. What ought to grab us is those that don't know Christ. That ought to grab us and squeeze our hearts hard. And that ought to get our emotions going. Because that is something that is eternal, not temporary. So what about the lost? You know, there's some common questions I want to address right now about uh, eternity. And we're kind of hitting some questions each and every week, as you've probably noticed. And uh, speaking about the lost, will we cry because of lost loved ones? Well, what about like an eternity? Wouldn't we continue to be upset and maybe miss somebody and cry or be, you know, have regrets about eternity and, and, and where our lost loved one might be? And, you know, wouldn't we feel that? Well, it's in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. And really the simplest way I can answer this question from Scripture, not giving you an opinion, but from Scripture, is where it says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. We, we touched on this a little bit earlier. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So the simplest way I can answer that for all of us is that God will not allow us to remember the former things. You won't want to. And, and he, He'll allow us not to. That pain, that regret, that thing that today even, from your past, from your childhood, that today even, to these days, you think about once a week or continually, that pain or that regret will not be a part of eternity. 
And isn't that good news? Man. Which leads us to another common question. Will we have the potential or ability to sin in heaven? You know, well, you know, I'm, gosh, I'm just thinking about myself. What, wouldn't I have the ability to sin in heaven? I'm a sinful person and, and all of these things. Well, let's answer that again from Scripture. First, we have covered last week how Satan and the demonic angels are incarcerated, thrown into the lake of fire. Second, uh, we already read uh, in verse 3 how God is with us. His very presence. We are in a holy city. Third, in addition to that, we are in now glorified bodies, not fleshly ones which are prone to sin. Okay? Does that make, does that make sense so far to you? And, and just fourth, and logically, uh, it is in Romans 6.23, which says the wages of sin is death. And it says here in verse number 4 that there will be no more death. So what causes or leads to death? Sin. Right, I heard someone say it. Sin. So it only stands to reason it that if there's no more death, it stands to reason there's no more sin. So death, sorrow, crying, all of those are permanently done away with. The promise in verse 4 is that there's no more pain. I just want to touch on that for a moment. I believe that's physical pain and emotional pain. I believe that uh, that's the broken body and the broken heart. That in heaven there's no broken bones. And there's no broken marriages and relationships where there's lots of pain. There's no broken dreams. There's no more pain from past regrets. Pain from failures. Pain from the past where somebody, maybe even a family member, hurts you deeply. No more of that. A Christian author described it by saying, There are no regrets in heaven, no remorseful tears, no second thoughts, no lost causes. I like that. Here's another question. Will we be able to eat or drink in heaven? I believe we will. And I'm hitting on this one this morning because of last week's vegetarian comments. Because y'all weren't here, but in the second service when we were talking about, you know, the no death of animals and the children leading the wild animals around and kind of that millennium time and all that was going on there and it, it seemed to be we would be vegetarians in the second service. Pastor Doug was saying that and, and somebody in the second service kind of right down here out loud went, oh man, <laughs> like, oh, I found that out. That's, you know, again, you know, God's going to have something better for us, so don't don't get all bummed out about that. But the answer to the question is this. Uh, we see in Scripture how Jesus, after His resurrection, appeared for 40 days on this earth between the resurrection and His ascension at the Mount of Olives. And during that time, we read how uh, He was in His glorified body. He appeared in a room, kind of came through the wall in the upper room, just appeared in the midst of them. And during that time... He eats with people. We, we read that. We read that uh, in the upper room. He eats there. We read that uh, there's a point he's along the beach. And the scriptures tell us that there was some broiled fish and hot bread. And he ate of that. We read that he walked with a group of people on this road to Emmaus. And then after arriving there, he ate with them. Back in Revelation chapter 19, we read about and we covered the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the answer there is yes, we will eat and drink. Here, here's a, yeah, woohoo. Here's a, here's a good question, and I always wondered this. What age will our new bodies be? 
What will we look like? I, I know that age is relative because we're talking about glorified bodies, but we will have an, an appearance. And sometimes, you know, a one-year-old child dies and goes to heaven or a 101-year-old man dies and goes to heaven. Uh, what will our appearance be like during this time? Well, let me say this uh, about the answer. We can't really be dogmatic about it. Um, but I would say we will look like our earthly bodies in their prime. Okay? Somewhere around the age of 30. <laughs> and you're going, where did you come up with that? <laughs> I just made it up. No, <laughs> just, just kidding you. You can really build a pretty good case for this in Scripture. Uh, Adam and Eve, created in the garden, you'll remember, were created as adults. Not babies. I, I believe personally a lot of creation was created with age on it. Um, not long after, Adam and Eve had their own babies. You know, they had three sons and had a television name by the same show, or the, a show by the same name. And uh, Cain, Abel, remember the third one? Seth, yeah, and then there were some other sons and daughters. And uh, so they had children not long after that. And I think we can make a, a case from the Scriptures because we get into the Old Testament and we see to serve as a priest in the temple, you had to be 30 years of age. You could not serve in that ministry until you were 30. Uh, Joseph in the coat of many colors. You know, his brothers threw him into a pit, sold him into slavery. He ends up down in Egypt. Finally, after a long while, becomes second in command of all of Egypt, Joseph does. And that happens at the age of 30. It was uh, David, King David, who began to rule in Israel, his kingdom, at the age of 30. And we see Jesus beginning his public ministry here on earth. About the age of 30. In John's first epistle, 1 John, the same John who's writing this in Revelation chapter 3 verse 2, he says this, Behold, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Okay? But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So, not to be, we can't be dogmatic about it, but I believe somewhere around the age of 30 would be nice, wouldn't it? If you live to be 101 and go to heaven, you'd like your appearance to be around the age of 30, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be a blessing? Now, we do know, because of our text, here's some things we do know. No sickness, no deformities, no handicaps. Talking about appearance. Never death. We will lose all trace of human fallenness. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Man, that is, that is wonderful. And some of us in this room struggle with that more than others. But uh, all of those things will be gone. Well, let's return our thoughts to verse number 5. So John has shared about new heavens and new earth and a new Jerusalem and a new perspective. We are going to see things and think about things even differently. And then fourthly this morning, a new eternity. Look at verse number 5. It says, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Verses 5 and 6. God tells John, John, I make all things new. Then he tells John to write these things down. And you know, some of this can sound too good to be true, right? It can sound too wonderful. 
No more death, no more sin, no more sorrow. Almost too good to be true here. And listen, we never want to place a question mark where God has placed an exclamation point on something that is His truth. We, we want to uh, agree with that and say amen to that. Verse number 6, God says, it is done. And that reminded me this week of Jesus when He was on the cross. He cried out, it is finished and had told us He had gone to prepare a place for us in heaven. And now the voice comes from heaven and says, It is done. Listen, God always finishes what He starts. Do you know that? Scripture says that He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God always finishes what He starts. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega in verse 6. The beginning and the end. And if you'll remember way back to our first chapter in Revelation, we talked about Alpha and Omega being the first and last letters in the alphabet. God is saying, from A to Z, I encompass all of that. All of it. And at the end of verse 6, He says, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him that thirsts. This is the water that quenches spiritual desires and the thirst of every person. We don't have a lot of time to go into the other places in Scripture where you will read about water quenching spiritual thirst. Like the woman at the well in Samaria. And in in Psalms, the writing about as a deer pants for the water. And and so my soul longs after you. A spiritual thirst for you, God. That is the water. So John shares about this new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, a new perspective that we will have, a new eternity. And then we come to some more promises that seem to be too good to be true. And our final point, number five this morning, a new relationship. Look at verse number seven. It says, he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. You catch that there? We read again, more promises. You are going to inherit everything. How do you like that? You know, once in a while you run into somebody who goes, yeah, I've I've just received an inheritance You know, my grandparents have passed away or my mom and dad passed away or something like that. I've received an inheritance. They've left some things for me. Now I've got to go over there and clean it all out and have a garage sale. You know. No, no, you know, that's that's one type of inheritance. And, uh, And we read here that we are going to inherit everything. And listen, as believers, you are called a child of God. It belongs to you. The Bible points us to the fact that believers are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. As a child of God, you inherit everything. Now, if that's not tops, that's still not the best part. Not only will you inherit everything, not only are you a child of God, the best part, uh, look there in verse number 7, it says, and I will be his God. I will be His God. God will personally be with us just as He was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Daily, continual, unbroken, intimate fellowship with God. Man, we love God. We believe in God. We don't physically see Him, do we? But that's going to change. We will be with the Lord in person. And as His children, as His sons, as His daughters, He will be our God. 
you know, I wanted to illustrate it this way. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, there's talk about how as believers we are adopted into his family, into God's family. And I had a good friend visit me this week on Thursday. Um, his name's Keith. And Keith and Chrisanna Harrington, some friends of ours, they had uh, three kids, uh, a daughter, Kiana, and two twin boys, uh, Brady and Jake. I can never tell them apart. I needed to like put a Sharpie marker on one of their ears and they were really looked uh, a lot alike, especially when they were younger. And, and, then, and then after these three kids, they wanted to adopt a child from Ethiopia. God laid that on their hearts. And they met Yemi. And here's a picture of them. You see, Yemi there is the one with the uh, red Africa continent there. Okay? That's supposed to be a joke. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? And, and Keith's, yeah, it's, it's brought all kinds of hilarity into their home. So they met Yemi, and she was uh, about six, not really sure even. And in an orphanage in Ethiopia, Africa, and just a little bit different than uh, adopting a baby, Yemi knew. Yemi knew that a mom and dad are looking at taking me out of here to the United States. She could understand that part, that she was getting a mom and dad. And it was a long process. And uh, just think of this in your relationship with God. Yimmy had heard of Keith and Chrisanna. Yimmy believed that they would come. They had written Yimmy words, letters on paper, and, and sent that to her. She had even, Yimmy had even received some gifts from them, but she still hadn't met them or been in their presence. She was excited that they were coming for her. She believed that. She knew she was leaving that orphanage and going to have a mom and dad, and her citizenship would one day be in the United States. And the day finally came when Keith and Chrisanna went to Ethiopia and adopted Yemi. This is in Ethiopia. Someone snapped a picture there of the first time their new daughter ran into her mother's arms. I'll just tell you something. That little girl's life was changed forever. That mom's life was changed forever. That dad's life, yeah, was changed forever at that moment. Then came the day soon after arriving back in the U.S. where legally Yemi became Yemi Harrington and a United States citizen. There they are with, a, with the judge there. And in the same way, what we're reading about here in verse number 7, we have that same promise. The day is going to come, and I believe very soon, and we will arrive safely in heaven and God will say, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my child. The adoption will be complete, so to speak, at that time. Listen, that's the best part. That is the best part. Some of you have been here during a service probably when Pastor Doug spoke and told his adoption story. And we see that in Scripture, how we are adopted into the family of God and then all that is God's. And what does he own? All of it is ours. And in that same way, we see that happening here in verse 7. 
Verse 8, John closes out this portion as we wrap up here with this vision of a new heaven and new earth. And he, he closes it out with two things, a witness and a warning. Look at verse 8 again. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and that's, that's the Greek word pharmakia where we get our word pharmacy. That's speaking of drug abuse there. Uh, and drug abuse in cultic matters. Idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So he closes us out with that. The witness is this. The testimony is that nothing wicked will enter into heaven. Nothing wicked will enter into heaven. Nothing evil, nothing vile is going to enter into this wonderful place that is eternity. The place that is beautiful. The place that is holy. The place that God has prepared for us. Lots of wonderful description uh, here. But John adds, there's not going to be anything sinful. That's good news. Anything that would tarnish or pollute this perfect place, this wonderful eternity that is prepared for believers, it will not be a part of eternity. All believers will be there. Okay, boil it all down. All believers will be there. All unbelievers will not. And at the same time, it is a warning. Because if this describes you, if this were to describe your lifestyle or a person's lifestyle because you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's a warning to trust Jesus before it's too late. To trust Jesus before it's too late. Now, before you pack things up, the good news is that none of these things will be a part of eternity in verse 8. The bad news is that people, people like this that do not repent and place their faith in Christ, they spend an eternity in the lake of fire. And that's not good news. That uh, should grab our hearts. And all of these new things that we've read about uh, in these first uh, verses here, these first eight verses, all of these new things that will happen. Let me say this about today. God wants to create something new in you and in me. God wants to do something new in us. It's, it's a, a little verse back in Isaiah that says, God says, Behold, I'll do a new thing in you. Talking about inside of us. He says it'll spring forth. It'll be like a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. And that's Bible language to say what might seem impossible I can do in you. I can do in you. Maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, you know, I've, I've never placed my faith in Christ. That is preeminent. God wants to do something new in you. He wants to create a new heart in you. As you ask forgiveness of your sins and place your faith in Him and Him alone. And when that happens, God keeps His promise and He does something new in you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a believer and you'd say, yeah, I, I've done that. I, I, I'm here weekly and I hear that opportunity even weekly for people to place their faith in Jesus Christ. But I, I have done that. Let me tell you this. Remember... God always finishes what He starts. And whether you have been a believer a week or 30, 40 years, God wants to continually do something new in you and have your relationship 
and your walk with Him be fresh. God wants that for you. And let me tell you this, as pastors at the Orchard Church, we want that for you. We, we want the Word of God to be so real in your life and as you take it in in discipleship or small group or here on Sunday mornings that it, it would do something new in you. It would, it would grow you in your walk with the Lord. It would refresh you during the week. We want that for you. We covet that for you. We want that for you so bad. Have something new in you. We'll have that opportunity for those that uh, want to place their faith in Christ uh, right now. Would you join me in prayer? Let's just have our heads bowed.